straight out of Austin, Texas. It's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, Statesman Sports Columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 283, brought to you by... Our good friends at Hook'em.com and Bud Light. Drink them if you got them. Cedric Golden here with the Duck Kirk Bowles. And uh, Duck sad occasion this this week with the passing of Longhorn legendary baseball coach Cliff Gustafson. But I'm telling you, man, it's always good to chop it up with three of the all-time greats that are here to give us memories of Coach Gus. Brooks Kieschnick, Greg Swindell, Keith Moreland. Joining us, uh, this is the most legendary panel of guests we've ever had at once, Doug. This is Mount Rushmore. I don't know who we're missing. I mean, if this ain't the Mount Rushmore Texas Longhorns, I don't know what is. So, uh, so guys, when you first heard the news, Keith, I'll start with you as the uh, senior statesman here. Uh, I know you were probably prepared for this because, you know, Gus uh, died at 91. His health hadn't been the best, but. What was your first reaction when you heard the news, Keith? Uh, You're always uh, thinking about it, but never prepared for it. Uh, You know, Coach was – he he was such a a guy that, uh, you know, I really didn't know him, Kirk. The best answer I could do when I played for him, like I did when I came back and coached with him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Brooks is on the panel. I was on that staff with – with him, and then I really got to know him, and and the more of the personal, personal stuff away from it. I, I really didn't know he had that kind of personality. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he liked to pick the guitar. I didn't I didn't know anything about it. So I really got to know him better after I played for him. Uh, you know, it, it, he was one of those guys that commanded such respect when you played for him, and he didn't. He wasn't a yeller. I mean, at, at any capacity. I mean, I used to say if we got in trouble as a team, it was in the clubhouse. And if we went to the dugout, it got worse. It went to the mound, it got real bad. Wow. So, uh, but he was not a guy that, uh, uh, you know, uh, yell, was a yeller or a screamer. He, he, he just commanded his respect. He was very stoic. Uh, and that's the way I, I remember him as a player because it's interesting. This panel of, of guys here are three different sections of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In reality, I mean, nice. you had I was still part of that early part, and and then Greg's in that middle where they were just dominant, but couldn't quite push it over. Eighty three, they did, but they they should have won a bunch right in there. And then to get back, it, it sort of had fallen on hard times a little bit. And then uh, Keish came in, and and you see what happened that in that early part of the nineties, where it was again dominant program but to be just it was such a a difference to get to know him and my relationship with him really changed when i came came back he never yelled at you did he greg yell at me yeah on the mound uh, i hope i didn't give him a reason to <laughs> you rarely <laughs> did yeah. no it, it, when when we got the news it, it's one of those like like everybody said you, you you're expecting it because he had been ill for for a couple of years and and just when when you do finally get the news it, it really hurts um but uh what everybody says now i mean the man lived 91 years so it, it's about a celebration of his life and that's yes. what everything is about he, he brought so many young men together so many young men that have grown up to be fathers and now grandfathers and, and all three of us have children and 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 just the news that that you lose someone that you love like that is it, terrible. But like I said, it is a, it's a celebration of his life. And and Coach Gus um, loved baseball. We loved him, and and we're going to miss him. And um, so well, he passes, and of course we're Kirk and I. We got to write. You know, we got to write the column, and and I, I knew Kirk would write the the personal thing because Kirk was around him a lot. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk came in in 75 and that's when, uh, Keith and, and then that thing got rolling. And, and so I, I was, first thing I told Kirk is, you, you let, I've got Moreland, I got Swindell. I mean, those, those are the guys I know that played for him and Kirk knows a lot of others, but I was, I was looking through social media and man, I came across Brooks Kieschnick, uh, his Facebook page and wow, 
and he's got pictures of Gus with his kids. And <clears throat> there's a Longhorn Network. There's a video of Coach Gus being honored, and and Brooks is helping him walk to the field. And and I was like, I gotta get Brooks. I gotta get Brooks because it's great to get guys from the '70s, '80s, and '90s, three different generations. Mm-hmm. And so Brooks, uh, being the youngest of the three, um, could you talk about your relationship with him? Uh, because you got him uh, the latter part of his uh, a great coaching career. My mine extends way, way, way from baseball. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, he was. I mean, obviously a tremendous coach, but more than that, he was a tremendous mentor um, and just a. And after I got to play with him, just a tremendous friend and always someone I looked up to and uh, always had the right things to say. Always had the great words of advice and and. And to reiterate what Greg said, yes, I was very sad, but also, I mean, what a great run. So respected and so loved by so many. Uh, and to throughout the baseball world, but also just throughout the, you know, throughout life. I mean, everybody he's ever run across have always said what an outstanding and, and a gracious man he was. And uh, I, that's what I'll miss most is just the, the friendship and the, and, the, and the fellowship and the camaraderie that we had together. Kirk, I know. I'm going to ask you um, about yeah. your relationship with him too, because you you were around him a lot. Um, I, I didn't know him very well, but I, I got on the beat in 2003, right after Augie had, had broken through for his first one here. And um, those first couple of years, I would get a call maybe once a month from Coach Gus. I don't know where he got my number, but I would get a call, and he just wanted to break. <laughs> you gave it to him. I knew it was you. I knew it was you. He would he he wanted to talk ball and 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 it was just um it was cool to hear him break it down and and uh because they had he and Augie had some of the same type of uh philosophies about producing runs and how to play defense and how to play to that big ballpark and uh man just it was just always good and they were never long conversations, I mean five or six minutes and and then he would go, he goes, I'll talk to you again soon. And I, I was like, well, coach, it's always a pleasure. But, Kirk, could you talk about getting on that beat uh, as a young reporter? And, and I mean, you're right there with Daryl, and then you get Coach Gus. How, how cool was that for you? Well, my first year on the beat, 1975, uh, that was a, a nice time to break in. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Maybe the greatest team uh, in Texas baseball history, and uh, Keith was a big part of that. And uh, it was just a little piece of heaven. It was like covering the New York Yankees. It really is. And that's where it was kind of covering the pinnacle of college baseball because, you know, USC and Rod Dato had its time there and won a ton of national championships. And uh, But in the era in the 70s and 80s, and then it was like Texas and Arizona State and, and Miami with Ron Frazier and Ron Polk at Mississippi State. So, I mean, it was just a privilege. You felt like it was a privilege to cover these guys, and it was just so much fun. And I just lived at the ballpark, and nobody loved baseball more than Gus. And back then, you didn't know this, uh, they had spring break, and uh, – you know, some of the guys went to the beach and, you know, some of the guys went partying at Fort Lauderdale, not baseball players. Gus would play doubleheader every single day. It was like 14 games in a week, and it counted as one game on the schedule. And, Keith, I don't know why he just played 14 games. I don't know why he didn't play 21 if he just ran out, <laughs> oh, ran out of daylight. I he would have. <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing that Kirk's saying right there is I, I, I people don't realize how integral not only to changing college baseball and the number of games, and Cliff was very much involved, as Kirk's talking right there, is he also created a ballpark, and he was very instrumental in creating UFC Dishbog Field. Sure. I remember sitting down with him. He asked me uh, after our sophomore year, he says, uh, you know, I was going to Boulder to play summer ball, and he, you know, he said, "Hey, uh, I've heard that you may play some outfield. That's a good thing for you, and maybe at the next level, and that kind of thing." And I said, "That's great." And he says, "I want to show you some of these designs and things that we've got going here uh, uh, for for Dish Falk." And 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 at that time, it wasn't named that the new ballpark is what he said, but uh, he he was involved in that down to the T. He 
he oh, understood yeah. exactly. He, you know, the, the the great story for me as a hitter, I looked at him, I said, Coach, uh, you said the wind's going to blow out every day. And Kirk will tell you in 75, it was a cold spring and the wind blew in every single day. <laughs> it was mammoth. It's like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> Oh my God! I made home runs. You got robbed. One of the things that Cliff was involved in, he was you know one of the elite baseball coaches, but he was he was very much involved in other things that were going on. Yeah, never seen even even the dot races. Remember the dot races, guys? I mean, they always had the dot races: the red, green, yellow, and Gus. Gus would all always win the dot race, right, Brooks? Oh yeah, he'd call up there and find out who was going to win, and he'd bet you. <laughs> he did inside knowledge. He did. He, uh, he, yeah, like twenty five in a row. He got right. So oh my God, out. Kirk! You mentioned uh, Ron Polk, uh, Mississippi State, uh, all time great coach. Now he had Brooks Kiesnick coming. Yes, to start he did. Vegas, <laughs> but something happened along the way. Brooks, could you share that with our listeners? I sure will. So uh, throughout my. Uh, recruiting process it was basically LSU and Mississippi State were real. But those are the two schools I was going to choose from. And between Smoke Lavelle and LSU, and then I think Steve Smith was at uh, Mississippi State, then that's exactly who it was. And then uh, really hot on the trail. Then I got to talk to Ron Polk. Uh, never talked to Skip, which was crazy. I only talked to Smoke at LSU. So Ron Polk kind of put me over the edge to go to Mississippi State. And I verbally committed. And uh, Ron Polk was a guy that always likes fly down and, and sign his players himself, but they were in the regional. So yeah. he had to wait two weeks till the regional was over. Well, during that time, I got a call from Darren Gustafson and uh, it's like, Hey, we really want you to come to Texas. I'm like, well, Darren, that's, that's awesome. You know, it's been a lifelong dream of mine to come there. But I said, I've verbally committed to Mississippi state. And he goes, yeah, but you haven't signed anything. I'm like, no, but I, you know, I'm, I'm going to Mississippi state. And he goes, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Mm-hmm. About five minutes later, Coach Gus calls, and of course, I'm freaking out, jumping around my room, trying, you know, trying to stay calm. And uh, he told me all the great things about University of Texas. Says, "Coach, look, I, I, I want, I've always wanted to play for you. I've dreamed of playing for you, and uh, but you know, I'm, I'm verbally committed." And he goes, "Well, if you're going to go buy a Cadillac, and you walk into the Cadillac store, and I say, hey, we'll save this Cadillac for twenty thousand dollars.' You go, all right, well, I'll be back tomorrow to buy this Cadillac." You walk down the road, you go into another Cadillac dealership, the same exact Cadillac they're going to sell you for $15,000. Which one are you going to buy? I said, well, I'll probably buy the one for $15,000 because exactly I'm offering you a better deal. You need to come to Texas. I said, yes, sir. They flew down the next day. <laughs> that is such a great story. And who the hell can find a Cadillac for twenty grand in the 90s? <laughs> I, I need to find that dealership. Well, just probably could have. <laughs> You're right. That, that, that was his recruiting pitch. I remember he told Richard Wortham once. He had uh, Richard Wortham – from Odessa and one of the greatest left-handers after Greg Swindell in one fifty games. And uh, he talked to him about Cadillac and Ford, which one do you want? And Richard thought, Oh my God, I'm going to get a Cadillac out of there. <laughs> <laughs> that was long before NIL. Oh so. my God. They're driving Lambos now. And he yeah. didn't have a Cadillac. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Chevy step side. So I didn't get one either. <laughs> and you know, and you guys know how tough he could be because he wanted to win every single game and he wanted to win inter squad games. You know how fierce those were and, and how long y'all practiced into the night. A lot of times, you know, this was back in the day, said when they had open locker rooms, I could just go in there after every game between games of double headers. I'd be in there. Sometimes I'd get trapped in there interviewing and Gus would come in there and, and talk to the team between games. And, and I remember one time Brooks, he, he came in there and he was riding your butt so hard I don't know. It may have been like the first two weeks. He may have been hitting 180, and he's going, Brooks, I don't know. Maybe you can't play at this level. Maybe I was wrong about you. And and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or if that happened a lot, Brooks. But then after that, I don't know if they could ever get you out the next three years. Well, he he basically told me, he's like, if you don't quit playing like a freshman, you won't play here. I'll go. I am a freshman. <laughs> Not here. <laughs> it didn't matter to him, did it? That's right. That's right. Oh. I mean, you know, Gus, Gus had a unique way of of mm. taking every player individually, and he knew how to push their buttons and get the best out of every single player, whether it was challenging me, basically telling me I can't do something. I'm like, well, I'll show you I can. 
or calling somebody saying, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Or, uh, or just saying, Hey, I believe in you. Nobody can get you out. Nobody can beat you. And that's the way he, he, he told me too. But he made everybody believe in themselves so much that that's where he got the most out of players. We didn't always have the best, you know, five-star players all around the whole deal, but you know how to bring everybody together and make team chemistry like no other. Yeah, he did. It, and Greg, I know he never got on you. Now, said when when Zeke was pitching, you know, Gus was technically you know the coach and the pitching coach. But you know, I, I think Zeke was really the pitching coach. He was his own pitching coach. And you know, this is a guy, one of the all time greatest. He and Bert Hooten, you know, easily the the best left hander ever pitched at Texas. But Zeke used to go down to the bullpen on your own. Uh, late in game. I think he ended up at 12 or 13 saves at Texas. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, your relationship with Gus as far as managing you as a pitcher. Well, Keith did the same thing. He'd go down to the bullpen. <laughs> we, we wanted the ball. We wanted to win. And, yeah, there were there were times where pitched on a Friday. You play – or, yeah, Friday you play two games Saturday. And it would be a close game in the sixth, fifth, sixth inning um, of one of those doubleheader games, and I would just start playing catch. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I would play catch, and, and I would get ready. And it, it wasn't really that I was ever hurt. I was just sore and tired, and I, I wanted to win. And I felt like I was the best person that could be out there to help the team at that time. And and he would he would go say, go ahead and, and, and put him in. And one time, Ty always tells a story at A&M where we were trailing – I guess the entire game. And then in the ninth inning, uh, we, we scored and took the lead and I was down, I was in the bullpen. I was throwing, getting ready. And when the third out was made, I ran out on the field without him even putting me in the ball game. <laughs> and, and, and Mike, Mike Pale, I think who was pitching started to get up and coach and someone stopped him. I don't know if it was Clint Thomas or coach. And, and they said, what are you doing? He goes, he's pitching. He goes, no one just pointed out to me who was already running to the mound. He goes, no, he's pitching. And so Gus just looked to the home plate umpire and goes, Swindell, 21 in the game. So, yeah, it, I, I, I like to pitch. I like the ball. And, and if, if he never told me no, so, and, and I want, you know, you want the ball. And I, I appreciate, and that's the thing I appreciate. He could have given up on me after my first start ever at Texas, but he threw me back in there. And, and things changed for me my freshman year. So he gave me that opportunity. And without that, nothing else would have happened. Keith, I got to ask you, um, you know, going to alumni games over the years, and, and, and Swindell was <laughs> worth the price of admission, just playing every position he can at those alumni games, Clemens throwing at people. And and the ones that Gus was at, where you could just see the reverence. You, and, and and even from Augie, just, just such respect for Gus, um, he created a brotherhood and a bond uh, between generational talents uh, from different eras. And we've got three on this show today. Uh, How important is that to you, those friendships that he helped cultivate? Because you never played with Swindell and you never played with Brooks, but those guys are two of your best friends and they're from different generations. You know, I've been asked that in the last couple of days, two or three different times. And and I, I'm really not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, Family is the first thing that first term that comes together, you know, families can fight. They can do whatever. Uh, I mean, the worst battles I've ever seen in my life were between two brothers, Mm -hmm. but when it gets through, they're going to hug each other. And, you know, it's going to, you know, uh, have a cold beer if they're adult enough to do it and say, Hey man, I'm sorry. that kind of thing. Well, that family unit uh, really started when I was in school. I mean, you would see guys like like John Langerhans come back up, David Chalk come through. Uh, they would all come, and, and Coach Gus all allowed them to work out and, and getting ready to go to spring training and that kind of thing. So you got you said, man, look at that. That guy was a great player here. So it give you that opportunity. And then to him have the, the, the idea – and Kirk may more know more about it because I was in Chicago at the time when I first heard about an alumni game and, and Coach Gus called me. He says, Keith, did you come back? He said, I said, the first thing I said is, absolutely. What's the date? And and I didn't worry about contacting any major league club and tell them I was going to go do it. I came back in a full major league uniform, played in the game, you know, and almost killed Swindell. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, 
I, you know, it, it was just that family and that brotherhood is going to last forever. I mean, there are people that I know. I mean, I've done everything for this program that you can do. I mean, I played here, I've coached here, and I broadcast here. So I, I know most of the people, and they are family, and we all go out of our way. Somebody needs something. Somebody's going to get it done. I mean, Doug Hutto called me this morning, and he had the great idea for first pitch. I mean, uh, I can't think of the organization here in town. RBI. Uh, RBI. He, yeah, he, he got a ball signed by those two guys there, and Bert Hooten he's gone to see. So all of us that have had the opportunity and the great honor to have our number retired, they're going to – and Coach got signed that ball this summer. I was out, but all the guys were in Doug's booth. And that's just that thing to give that back to the community. That's the things that Texas baseball players do. No doubt. I agree with that totally. That's amazing. Well, that alumni game was the first year of the alumni game was, was my freshman year. And, and to see these guys, I mean, that's when you talk about family is see these guys that would come back. Zonk, Spike Owen, Roger, Seraldi. We didn't know these guys. We didn't have internet. We didn't have, I mean, we, we just saw them occasionally. Um, and then to see them in their big league uniforms and, and, and saying hi and, and talking to us, just treating us like, like normal people. Um, it's, it's, it, like Zonk said, it's a family, it's a family affair. And uh, I think it'd be pretty neat since I think coach Gus started this alumni game it used to be free. Right. Or I think coach Gus made it $5. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't but there'd be 4,000 people there. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I think, it, I mean, about the Cliff Gustafson alumni game. I mean, I think that would be a, a quite an yeah. honor if, if it was to continue and, and keep going because 1984 was the first year of this alumni game and it's been going on almost ever since. And you remember that other tradition, Roger Clemens would get out there and he wouldn't oh, rush back Calvin Murray. He would throw it behind Calvin Murray first yeah. pitch. So. <laughs> He yeah. did it every leadoff hitter, and then Calvin hit a home run foul to right field, hit a home run foul to left field, and then he hit a triple. And then Roger goes, all right, enough of this. He started throwing everything and struck out the side after that. <laughs> yeah, I, I turned and pitched the ball to him, and I said, hey, man, this is not midseason. He just looked at me with that look at, that I've gotten to know from Roger, and I went, okay. Okay. I mean, no man, I don't know how much you've thrown yet, but okay. At that point, it was it became serious real yeah. quick. Wow. Hey, that competitive never leaves. It never leaves. And, you know, Gus is – he was a different cat offensively, Keith, as you know. I mean, this era that we're in where you hit a strikeout or hit a home run, just really uh, – he abhors that kind of baseball. You know, a Gus ball, move him up, sacrifice, get that run, score by a balk, however, you know, get the runs across. And he loved, he loved to take because he knew – other pitchers didn't have the command of the strike zone that, that, that Brooks or Greg have. And so, you know, it wasn't unusual, you know, Texas to win with uh, 12 walks and four hits, you know, yeah, in, I mean, in the it, game. It, Kirk, it, just to, to take that into another perspective, he would – we would drill in live bunt drills when I was there. Now, it might have changed later on uh, with the other guys, but a live bunt drill, if we were practicing bunting – and defensively, you were playing it live. So it was a live – it wasn't like somebody's, a coach is going to roll the ball after the pitcher lobs one in and what <laughs> you think is a, a drill. It was live bunt drill. So he said, we're going to be able to play the bunt and we're going to be able to put get the bunts down. And, you know, uh, after a while, I figured out 2-0. and oh, I wasn't looking for a sign. I just never <laughs> turned and looked. I was going to ask you, did I you ever got get away with Because I got a few knots. <laughs> How many times did you bunt at Texas? I, 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 if I bunted, it was a, a, a bunt for a base hit. I mean, one of the biggest bunts of my life is Ron Polk here. We're talking about that. We were going in 73. Kirk will remember this. We go up, we play Georgia Southern in the first game of the College World Series. And we're tied in like the fifth inning. And I look down. When I'm rocking to the plate, because Cliff knew I could drag, and we had a, a, a man on first and second with nobody out, and he, I saw the button. I went, okay. So <laughs> I hit a drag bunt, uh, got a base hit, loaded the bases, and uh, we ended up scoring two in that inning, and it helped getting it done. But so th- that's one that I remember that I did get the bunt sign from Coach Gus, and you know he had one, he had 
intricate signs. He had one for sacrifice and one for drag bunt or one try to bunt for a base hit. He said, you know, so I that I got it down. And Coach Poker said, you know, I can't believe the number three hitter, one of the best hitters in the country. <laughs> when we when I met him later, he says, couldn't believe that you were bunting. We were playing back. And Jimmy Morrison, who was our third baseman, played in the big leagues, was a good guy, yeah. was a teammate of mine with the Phillies. And uh, he said, you fooled everybody. It wasn't a great bunt. As Kirk probably remembers, it wasn't <laughs> great, but it, it it worked. You got the element of surprise when yeah, you got a 410 hitter laying down a bunt. I wondered if you ever got the take sign. Yeah, I did uh, my freshman year. That's why I stopped looking. <laughs> he, he, he come back to me. He says, "Keith, you got to look at me after every pitch." I, I, to, I worked a two and zero, especially my sophomore and junior year. I didn't turn and look, and Rick Bradley would hit behind me a lot, and Rick could Rick could hit. He can mash. And he said, "You know, well, you just never turn and look." I said, "Well, I'd look right at him." I said, "Don't just work the two and zero count. Don't turn and look, because I guarantee you, Keith didn't." You had to look because you're, you're a bad lefty, right? Yeah, I did I did get one bunt sign uh my career and it was uh nineteen ninety-two against VCU Matt Williams, the lefty was up there. I missed it by I ended up fouling two of them off and then getting the base hit up the middle. But that's the only bunt sign I got. BCU. I remember Tolentino had a great drag bunt single at Omaha to help him help him win a game, but uh yeah. Uh, wasn't his take sign just looking at you, though? Yes. Or hands yeah. in the back pocket. Right. Yeah. Right. His hands were always in his back pocket. <laughs> well, that's if it's cold. If you took that's him out, it. then take. That, that's because everybody had the take till strike one. That's right. <laughs> hey, Cedric. Cedric, what, one time he gave the take sign to Mark Griffin at Omaha. It was a 3-2 count. And he, he gave him the take sign. True story. He did Chuck Abernathy, too. Abernathy <laughs> goes, where were you on that one, Cliff? <laughs> he did. I, I was on that step again. Yep. Oh, yep. I couldn't believe when I saw it. Oh. I think he forgot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the other thing is, he's the only guy. That, that, the other point, that, that, you know, we're it's I love having fun and telling stories because we're like I said, we're in three different eras of his coaching career, but he had such a great knack of picking that one guy in that one spot that probably never was involved and never thought he would be involved in the game. Uh, we're in a regional in Arlington at the old uh, Texas Rangers Rickyard. ballpark playing Rickyard. Louisiana Tech, and bases loaded, 0-2 count. He pinch hits Mark Griffin with an 0-2 count. He yeah. takes the hitter out of the game and puts Mark Griffin in the game. Mark fouls one off, and then the next pitch he gets severely jammed but it just enough to get over the pitcher's head and falls and everybody is safe. And that extends the inning that we score two more, two more runs and we win the game. But the ability to pull somebody off the bench with an O2 count. It, 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 and then the next day he would plug somebody else in. And then uh, when I was on his staff with Brooks, we would go, we were at rice and he, he clay has not had a hit in two weeks. Clay King and 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 then all of a sudden I come to the ballpark and I look at the lineup and he's in the lineup and I'm going he says I went over to Coach Gus I said Coach I was fixing to start throwing BP and he goes I just got a feeling what did he get three that day yeah and and all three of them drove in runs I mean yeah. it, he just had the that knack yeah, that touch to know who was the right guy at the right spot and boy that that's that's uncoachable it's, it's i don't know how he found it yeah and he was such a student of the game i remember also at omaha uh, y'all were playing lsu and ben mcdonald was on the mound oh man and ben. and, and y'all would whip the tar out of these big name pitchers you know it didn't matter you bring in the heat you're gonna pay for it it was those, those little crafty uh uh left-handers like fullerton had uh that that they gave y'all fits and everything, but I remember when y'all beat Ben McDonald and uh, and just blistered Ben. I don't know how long he lasted in the game, but but Gus told me afterward that he he was reading his pitches, he was tipping his pitches, and whether he held the ball lower in the glove or upper in the glove, Zeke. I don't know if you remember anything like that, but he just studied uh, tendencies so big, and you never know how he's going to use it to win a game. I, I think um, that dude beside you on the screen would know better than me. 
I was really good at it, uh, but uh, you know, th- those are little secrets. That I don't know we want to put out there or not, but nah, you know, he, we'll never, he never whistled <laughs> and we didn't beat, we didn't beat the, the any drums or anything, but he would sure tell you, uh, Hey, watch this. When he does this, this is happening. He, and he's the guy that, that I use that later on all the way through the rest of my career in the big leagues. If guys, if guys are going to tip and they're not going to change, uh, I'm going to use that information. That's my job as a player to do that. Yeah. Yep. He hated losing Zeke. And what was it like, 84, 85, you guys finished second two years in a row. And how hard was that on Gus? Because, you know, you're coming off the high of 83. That was the golden decade for Texas baseball. But uh, those were tough losses at Omaha, right? Uh, uh, 84, we we were, weren't even ranked preseason. I mean, they lost a lot from the national championship team and didn't have any starting pitching come back. Boudreaux and Phillips, they were coming back. Um, Ruffin, he was throwing balls on the screen. So, I mean, we really didn't, <laughs> we really didn't have, have much to start that year, but we, we gelled, we, we played well. And yeah, that, that was probably tougher um, being the freshman year and against Eddie Delzer in Augie and in Cal State Fullerton, but that was tough. But I think 85 was probably the worst as far as um, not being able to digest it because we were ranked first in the nation coming out of the shoot. We were good. We had a lot of returners. We had starting pitching. We had everything. And just get to Omaha and um, lose a close game, a two-to-one to Miami. And then the next day they had to beat us twice. And the next day, you beat us ten to six. So yeah, that, that that was the tough one, knowing that that you are the best team out there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean Mississippi State Thunder and Lightning, they can think whatever they want, but we were the <laughs> best team out there, and and we should have won that one. So that that was tough, and I think it's it's tougher now to look back and think, wow, there, there could be 83, 84, 85. There could be three oh, wow. in a row on that board out there, and that, yes, that's that's what more than anything. And uh, but the the joy and the, the pressure that we had going to Omaha and playing as a team and playing for coach Gus. It was those, those were tough, tough championships to lose. Um, don't know what it feels like to win one like Zong like did as a coach, but um, coach Gus, um, he didn't take them too hard, but 85 was rougher than 84. But the wins, the, the memories, the good memories outweigh the bad ones for sure. Um, he coached, he won over 1400 games, 22 Southwest conference titles, uh, he coached 35 first-team All-Americans, including the three that we have on the screen. Such a pleasure to chop it up with you guys here today. Uh, we're going to miss Coach Gus, but we still have the stories, and we so appreciate you taking time out to share some of the best memories of a true Longhorn icon. Guys, we appreciate it today. Absolutely. Honored, honored to be here. Honored. Thank you, guys. You guys are Longhorn legends and giants, and uh, just, you know, it was a privilege and a blessing to to cover all three of you, and you just gave so much to Longhorn Nation that uh, was just was one of the best part of my sports writing career is just chronicling, you know, the three of you and you guys' teammates because Texas, like I said, they are the New York Yankees of, of college baseball, and you are the pinnacle, and uh, we appreciate you all so much. We appreciate you all as well. Thank you so much. Let me go. On second thought. Wow, Doug, what a conversation with some Longhorn legends. Man, I'm gonna tell you, it's just fun. It's fun memories. I know it was it was a sad occasion, but just happy thoughts. Anytime you can talk to those guys uh, about an all-time great, and man, you had a front seat to that whole thing as a kid yourself. Well, one thing is great hearing legends talking about another legend. Yes, sir. We're just privileged to do that. And and talk about the front row seat. I mean, I lived in that dish fault press box for basically, you know, 40 years. I mean, that, that was on the beat for 20 years, starting in 1975 when Keith and the Longhorns won it all. So, yeah, great going down memory lane. Great going down memory lane. Get you some asbestos testing because I know you can get it. <laughs> I know you can get a check. I was only in that sled for four <laughs> years, so I know you can yeah. get a check. Um, less than pleasant happenings. Um, oh, you know, we we uh, we teased it at the top of the show. Uh, the, the Texas football team 
Finishes up eight and five. Steve Sarkeesian had a better number two year. Uh, yelled at a production assistant. Um, what was that about? 27-20 to Washington in the Alamo Bowl. Um, I see progress, but I also see question marks. What was your takeaway from that that lovely weekend in the Alamo City, Duck? Well, it was a lot like you wrote uh, on game day. It's that we just don't know what we're looking at yet. And uh, I mentioned it in nine things Uh uh, yesterday, it's like, is this the Texas program that almost knocked off number one Alabama and should have and crushed Oklahoma and beat Big 12 champion K-State on the road? Or is it the one that gave up 100 plays to Texas Tech and Lubbock and didn't show up a bit on offense against TCU? I, I You know, you just don't know. And it's like, it, it's very similar to the Tom Herman era where he's winning four bowl games, you know, winning records on the surface. You know, it looks like, okay, they got it going. They got it going. Won 10 games in second year, beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. and But, you know, we saw how that ended. It came to an abrupt end after four years. And I don't know. It's just – it's kind of an uneasy feeling. You want to believe, and I've kind of jumped on that bandwagon too early at times this year, especially. I after, warned you. Well, after Alabama and after Oklahoma, but you know, I'm a glass half full. You're a glass half broken kind of guy. Or so, I'm just real. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's it's very murky, isn't it? It's murky and 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 it's it's unsettling. Now let let me preface it by saying it ain't five and seven. That was a nightmare experience yeah. for the Longhorn Nation. So we're looking at a three win improvement. Yeah. But we're also looking at 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 a at a team that that I don't want to say they wasted Bijan Robinson, but that was one of the best running back careers in the history of the program and they didn't move the needle nationally. And they probably would have won if Bijan plays, don't you think? Yeah, but it's the Alamo Bowl. So it doesn't sure, really, I don't play me, that, that doesn't really play into it. I thought they should have been in bigger and better bowls with a with a talent like him. Sure. And, um Quinn yours was so uneven all season. First year as a starter, we get it. Expect him to be better. Next mm-hmm. season, uh, assuming he beats out Arch Manning for the starting position, um, played really well in the second half of the Alamo Bowl. You do. Is that what we're going to get full-time? Part of me, uh, I feel sometimes I feel like it's Jay Cutler 2.0 with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a tremendous talent, uh, but I don't always see the motor. Um, I don't always see the leadership. Um, he's a laid back cat and, and sometimes it's hard to, to lead men when you're a laid back cat. Can you remember the last laid back cat to win anything of consequence? I mean, so, um, the talent is not, is not an issue. Um, but I, I, I wonder moving forward if he's going to be able to galvanize because, the best teams that we've covered, Doc, were player-led teams. 05, mm-hmm. that was Vince Young's team. Sure. Mac, Mac was a good coach, and Greg Davis a good coach, Dwayne Aquino a good coach. But they just needed to make sure the guys were there on time. 10 was running that thing. And when you have player-led teams like that, you're going to win. And I'm not – I still think this is more of a Sarkeesian-led team than a player-led team. So it's going to be difficult to take that next step. It wasn't Quinn's team. We know that. It was Bijan's and Roshan's team. Absolutely. They were the two leaders and voices in the locker room and the the, the guiding uh, lights for this team. And uh, Quinn Ewers, like I said, he threw for 369 yards against Washington. He, he played well enough to win. Uh X got to catch those. X Xavier's worthy. He's got Well, that's where I was going to the two most troubling things for me in the Alamo Bowl was Xavier Worthy, you know, not having his head in the game. Everybody dropped passes. <clears throat> but for a guy that's that's coming across as a diva, we don't get to talk to him very much. But 
he wants the attention. You know, it's like he's still on the roster, so I assume he's not transferring. Does he just love the attention? Gave and, him a chance to say he's coming back, and he yeah. did, not, did not say he was coming back. No, he didn't. Sometimes, he got, sometimes he got 14 well, targets in that game, 14. Yeah. He sometimes was the what you don't say says a yeah. lot. It says a lot. And now uh, he could have easily said, oh, yeah, that's the plan. And that yeah. was it. For sure. And then it's, then it's squashed. But what he did is he poured a little bit of gasoline on that fire. And and now people are people are wondering, is he coming back? Yeah, what, do you, what does that say to your teammates? You're not all in. You know, so if I'm kind, on that team, I'm, I've got questions for X. I do too. You're kind of in, and he played like he's kind of in, you know. And Sarks talks about culture all the time and buy-in, that sort of thing. Uh, the reaction I loved hearing from was uh, Jalen Ford, the, the talented linebacker dude who should have been the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And he was very distraught after the game and – Said, you know, I didn't play like I played all year, you know, where he's forced, it was a turnover machine. He just forced interceptions, fumbles, you name Always it. Always around the ball. He's a, he's a big time leader, and he is not announced yet either. That's coming up pretty soon. Jordan Whittington's another one. You know, we assume he's going pro, but we don't know for sure. So I counted up out of 44 uh, on the two deep, 27 are underclassmen. That's but, a lot. Texas fans are always tired of hearing, well, we're young, we're young. We can't be young every year since 2009. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had seven starters on offense who were freshmen or sophomores. So the offense should be dynamic. You know, we're kind of worried about the offense. Who replaces Bijan? Is Quinn the guy? But defensively, we can't just assume they're going to be where they were this year. I mean, that – D-line was seniors everywhere you look. You Snacks. know, I mean, you had Byron Murphy and Baron Sorrell, who didn't show up much in the Alamo Bowl game, no, but no that was a senior group. And then the linebackers, Overshone's gone. Maybe Jalen Ford's gone. So that front seven could take a big hit, you know, on defense. But like you say, trying to stay positive here, and, you know, they play Alabama on the road week two. We're still waiting for the schedule to come out, you know. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Bob Berta uh, yesterday, and he said, well, we have until February 1st. So and Bob Berta on the phone, that's pretty good, Doc. Way to go. Yeah, I, I guess what they're doing is they're waiting to see if Texas and Oklahoma leave for the SEC uh, two years early. So. They have to. Uh, they're kind of in a holding pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of makes me wonder if these negotiations aren't going ongoing right now. You have to go out of there. You get do them out of there earlier, um, right? They Lord, need to... know, Lord knows they know how to keep a secret. So yeah, yeah, they ought to leave early. I had one person say, "Oh yeah, they're negotiating," and I go, "Well, what does that mean? You figure they should be negotiating every day and get this done because you know they need they need to move on. They need to cut the cord and, and move on. We both agree, but uh, you know, next year, year three, proofs in the pudding. I mean. He can't have a six or seven win season because I, I don't know how, what the percentage of fan base that believes in Sark right now that he's the guy who can can win championships. But you know his track record has shown he's not, even though they've made improvement. You know, but I don't know. I it was very distressing. That they gave lip service to the running game and ran for fifty one yards and heard the wrong guy. I mean, Keelan Robinson and Jonathan Brooks had 14 carries. I don't think – I think Jonathan Brooks – I don't know how they practice, but I was fully expecting Jonathan Brooks to be the guy back there. Didn't you think he'd get 18 carries by himself? But he got I did. But you know, Keelan Robinson, they were treating him like a bell cow, and and he just doesn't come across as a bell cow. He comes across as a scat back, a third down guy. And He's not a feature back. He's not Jonathan a feature Jonathan Brooks was a, was a bell cow. Yeah, in in Hallettsville. So I, I I was surprised that Brooks didn't get get more yeah. carries in that game when they could have. Blue didn't even get in the game, and you know they got Cedric Baxter, the five star kid out of Florida, coming in. So they got talent coming in. It's top five class. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating spring with Arch here and no Bijan. So it's kind of in a team in transition, which you kind of hate to say when it's such a critical year for for Sark's success moving forward. 
Yeah, and you know, to that end, I, I, we asked him about it. I go, um, you know, did you see the improvement? And, and this is what he had to say. Uh, hey, Steve, uh, besides the obvious winning improvement in wins, uh, what about this season gives you confidence that you can take it a step further next year? Yeah, um, I, I think, one, our culture, you know, I, and I, I know I've been harping on this, but I, but I mean that. I, I think we have a team that is full of competitors. I think we have a team that, that really is fighting to win, and they're fighting to win together. Um, I think we can still make improvements there. Um, of just making sure that that we're that we're really poised and composed in critical moments of the game, um, but I, but I I also look at just the improvement we've made defensively. Um, that that offense is a high flying offense, and they've they've shredded a lot of people. And to make them earn it the way that we did tonight, um, you know that, that again we would have loved to gotten off the field on third down better. Um, and I think that that's something that we need to address in the offseason is our own ability to convert third downs. Uh, I think that that needs to improve. And then our ability to get off the field on defense on third down needs to improve. Um, and that there's a lot of factors in that that go into it. Um, so th- there's a lot f- for me as a, as a coach to be proud of these guys and what they were able to do from year one to year two. Um, but a sign of a good program is continued growth and improvement. And um, I think that our developmental program has got to come right back into effect in January in our off-season conditioning program in our in our football development um, and then get ourselves ready for spring ball so we can continue to grow and and then implement these young players that are showing up here mid-year. He was upbeat and and he's usually always upbeat uh, that, but that was a game Washington pretty good yeah pretty good 11 wins Phoenix is really good and mm-hmm. we had some we had a few idiot tweeters say that you know that Michael Penix and Quinn are the same guys stop it stop uh, it. yeah accuracy is everything and Quinn was accurate in the second half Michael Penix has been accurate for two seasons and yeah. um and he's back from an ACL tear at Indiana and um, they're going. Washington's going to be good again next year. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to see if Quinn takes a, another step up because I, don't you think that he wants to redshirt Arch Manning? Sure, I would think so. And, and maybe Arch Manning wants to redshirt Arch Manning, and that would be good for his learning process. And Malik Murphy, who I thought he should have played some against Washington, you want to keep him around. You know, I think, and, he's gone. I think he's gone. Well, it'd what, be hard if, to play your son, if he was your son. Would you tell him to stay at Texas with Arch Manning coming in? No, I'd probably say you probably ought to look somewhere else because yeah. you know your chances of playing are, aren't very good. So, and the other distressful thing is that there's so many coaches in their first or second year just tearing it up. I mean, you look at Kalen DeBoer at Washington, you know, they didn't have a single opt-out with the Huskies, won 11 games. They're going to be a top-10 team in the final poll, whereas Texas 8-5, and five, probably unranked. They'll probably fall out of the poll now. But you just go down the list, start with Sonny Dykes, and, you know, first year, and he's in the CFP finals. I mean, you know, you just go Dan Lanning in Oregon and, you know, Shane Beamer in his second year at South Carolina. He beats Tennessee and Clemson. I mean, Brian Kelly, LSU, he's an SEC runner-up. Just go down the list. There's so many. And you can do that now with NIL and the transfer portal. You know, it's it's easier to have success quickly. I mean, Dave Aranda won the Big 12 in in his year two. Sonny won it in year one. And a a word for the haters. CDC won it. Sonny Dykes. Yeah, he I don't did. care. Uh, yeah, get mad at Kirk for writing it. He wanted him. Yeah, and he was and he was trumped by the boss because the boss is the boss. Kevin mm-hmm. Altai is the boss. I'm not saying that that Sark won't win here, but facts are facts, and mm-hmm. and that's just the truth of the matter. And I'm not going to be a revisionist historian and say that oh, that's too bad. Uh, they got the wrong guy or whatever. You know, we didn't know that Sonny Dykes was going to be in the national championship. Team. No, nobody knew that, and no one's no one's saying that Texas would have been in the national championship game with right. Sonny Dykes. But what we are saying is that there was a communication lapse between the two the two guys that are running UT football, mm-hmm. Mr. Eltife and Mr. Del Conte. And yeah. uh, I stand by what you wrote. Uh, your sourcing is impeccable. Your Kirk 
freaking bowls and you don't make stuff up. And uh, if people have a problem with that, tough, tough. This is what we do for a living. Yeah. Well, we, we want to see Texas win, even though people think we just hate them. It's like, you know, you know, the high tide rises all boats. So we want to see good football. We want to see winning football. And we want to see football like the CFP semifinals, which had to be the best ever. I mean, give TCU credit. I mean, wow. they were right there punching Michigan in the mouth. And Not afraid. Michigan didn't know what conference TCU was in, and they know now. They know now. Oh, JJ, it was JJ McCarthy. Oh, we're going to give him a little bit of Big Ten. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got a big dose of Big Twelve. It happened. And then the second game was D winners. You got a big dose of Max Duggan. Those guys are for real. Mm-hmm. They may get their doors blown off. They might, Georgia, but who cares? Yeah, they represented for the new look Big Twelve. Yeah. Non-Texas, non-OU Big 12. They did something that Texas and OU didn't do, and they won a CFP game. Yeah. Now they now they're playing for all the marbles. Kudos to Funky Town. Cowtown got it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going up against another giant, and they got a puncher's chance, and there are there are 180 other schools that would love to be where the Horned Frogs are on Monday. And Georgia's going to take them a lot more seriously than Michigan did. Absolutely. Kirby Smart's going to and, – and, you know, that was a terrific game as well. And Ohio State fans just got to be dying because they controlled that game almost from beginning to end. And But Georgia made the place, and, and that's what Texas needs to do. You make plays when you have to do it. And I'm talking about that Brock Bowers, incredible acrobatic first down – you know, where the, the replay overturned it. They don't replay that. You know, that may be the ball game. And then the, uh, he got his foot up before oh my he stepped God. out of bounds. That dude's a stud horse. He is such a stud. And then the, the, the fake punt that Kirby Smart called timeout right before. I mean, they're up by 11. They're going to lose. They may lose. They're going to lose. If he doesn't make timeout there and, uh, you know, scuttle that fake uh, fourth down punt, you know, they're going to lose that. And then. I thought Ryan Day did a great job, but I think they relaxed. After C.J. Stroud got him to the, uh, what was it, the Georgia 30, they kind of thought, ah, we got this. Oh, yeah. They ran the ball for either a loss or no gain, and they had an incompletion and then almost got sacked. And, you know, you and I have that saying, college kickers, you can't trust them. Right before Ruggles got that, I saw him take his practice kick, and then he did it. He did that. <laughs> but I tweeted, I go, he's an yeah. elite kicker, but man, college kickers in these moments. And that's so trust much him. pressure on the kid. 50 him. yards to go to the championship game, and they need another play. 10 yards. I think you go another 10, 12 yards, I think he's got a good chance of making it. Maybe. But I think maybe. they rely. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. But I, just, I hope it's a good game next Monday. I hope TCU – continues to represent. I know they believe in themselves. So uh, I, I'm a little worried Georgia might take it to them, you know, because uh, Georgia might take its breath now after surviving Ohio State. And, you know, Georgia's got so much talent. So, but I hope it's a great game. Well, Doug, before we get out of here, um, Texas basketball dropped to 12-2. and two, Yeah. Uh, with a uh, loss to, to Kansas State, which just couldn't miss. <laughs> Um, we haven't been on the pod in a while. We need to hit Chris Beard before we hit basketball. Um, I'm on record as saying if he's guilty of those these infractions, these these charges, that he should be out of there. That they should they should terminate Chris Beard and uh, just no place for it in anywhere walk of life sports. You saw Dana White, the UFC president slap his wife on videotape slap she slapped him he slapped her uh mm-hmm. he's been outspoken about it and now he's under fire um while they've really played well under rodney terry um it, there's still a dark cloud hanging over this program and i know that we've both been talking to the big dogs over there and they're in a wait and see slow burn type of Matter, um, right. but sooner or later they're going to make a call on this. I don't think it's fair to the fans. I don't think it's fair to the program, and I don't think it's fair for the players to not have closure in this in this thing. And if they're waiting on the authorities, that's one thing. 
But, um, you know, it's still going to be Chris Beard on suspension while the Longhorns play. And I think it goes beyond the charges, said because I kind of fully expect the charges to be dropped. I mean, you know, the victim, Randy True, is somewhat recanted. She recanted the strangulation part and, and said that Chris Beard didn't intend to harm her. And I don't think he did, but it didn't explain the, the bite and the bruises and getting thrown around. You don't hit a woman. We all know that. So I'm afraid the damage has already been done. Uh regardless of of if the charges stick or if the case is totally dropped. Uh, I won't be surprised at all if the charges are dropped, but Chris Beard's fighting for his coaching life right now, and uh, he has not said a word. So we don't know if there's any remorse or not. We know he's sorry he's in this predicament that he's in, but I just think uh, if if Texas, which holds itself as kind of this beacon of ethics and integrity, I don't know what you're saying to women if you bring Chris Beard back, if you're saying that kind of behavior is acceptable. Charges or no charges, you know. And uh, you know, this this could this could be messy if they tried to to hang on to him. But uh I fully expect they'll probably release him in the next, you know, week, two weeks, and then probably do a coaching search as good as coach as good as Rodney Terry has done. He's five and one. Um, you know, they play Rice and Stanford, which were good shooting teams, but not great teams. But they didn't look good uh, Tuesday night. Uh, I mean, K-State shot 60%. You they look good offensively. They just couldn't stop K-State. Yeah, and they've got offensive weapons. But, you know, as Rodney Terry said himself, you don't win with offense in this league. You win with stops. You it's got to Well, man, it's a, it's a rough, it's a rough, yeah. rough yeah. league, and you don't – you don't you don't win track you you can't win track meets. No, you can it's, win some. It's not a league of track meets. This is a league of stops. Yeah, if you look at the league, you know, you look at the bracketology, I mean, ESPN updates it's twice a week now. Texas was seeded third before this and in K-State which was picked last in the Big 12 was a seventh seed projection-wise. So nine of the ten teams in the Big 12 are projected to be in the tournament, all but Texas Tech what right mean? now. What so they're no, they're no nights off. They're, and it's a shame after they beat Oklahoma and Norman by a point on the road. They were the only Another great team game. that went on the road. But you gave it back when you lose at home to a team you're supposed to beat, you know. And, so, and, and, and props to K-State. I mean, uh, Keontae Johnson. Yeah. And then Noel, those guys are those guys oh. are dogs. Those guys can play. A Noel, they, oh. they made every big shot. They made every, every big, big shot. shot. And Noel's like he scored thirty six and nine assists, three steals. He looked like the Big Twelve Player of the Year. And uh, boy, you know Jerome Tang is the the first year head coach at K State. Former got Drew assistant. So he was he was elated. They were dancing in the in the hallway after that one. So deservedly so, Doug. Yeah. And you're not gonna win every home game either, but you better win the majority of your home games because the road is treacherous in that. So uh we'll keep visiting that and keep our eye on that. And I know a lot of people are frustrated because Texas hadn't said anything, but you know, I don't think they've talked in depth to Chris Beard either. So it's they're just kind of in limbo and like I said, I think we'll see some resolution of the case. You think, the next you think he's gone? Yeah, I do. I really do because, you know, I think maybe the damage has been done because, uh, you know, you don't know what else comes up. You don't know if pictures come out. And it's just – I don't want just, one call. Yeah, it's just okay. very damaging. It's just very damaging. So it, and it's terrible. It, like like you wrote, right after it happened, there are no winners in, in situations like this. And Chris Beard is a – Hell of a coach. I think he's one of the best five coaches in college basketball. No question. And I think, you know, I don't know if this could kill his coaching career. It's gonna it's gonna be problematic for him. He's gonna have to rehabilitate his character if he stays here or if he leaves. But he's a terrific coach. But this decision goes beyond, you know, coaching ability. It's about optics. It's about optics and it's about doing what's right. And uh, if Texas <clears throat> retains Coach Beard, and they, they could, who knows? If yeah. they retain him, they're going to have to deal with the fallout. Yes, they are. Yeah, You can't, you can't run from reporters. No. Uh, can't run from reporters. They're going to be asking. And, and Chris Beard's going to be asked about it a lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot. 
And it's 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 one of those things where, you know, you have to put you have to put what's right ahead of anything else. And that's their decision, not ours. Um, Mm -hmm. We're here to document, chronicle, give perspective, give our opinions on it. But um, not a an easy decision facing El Tai and Del Conte when it comes to Chris Beard. You're right. You're right. All right, Doug, before we get out of here, um, prayers up for Damar Hamlin. Uh, that's Absolutely. the biggest story in sports. Um, yeah. I was watching that game, and Doug, I had settled in with a steak and a baked potato, and um, and we, we both got knocked out of our fantasy league game uh, <laughs> league. So it was it was it wasn't about, but I had but Joe Burrow was my quarterback, so I just wanted to see how mm-hmm. he's going to end the season. I had Jamar Chase and Boyd, and and they go out and they go down to score, and then the Bills come back and score, and it hits me. I go. We're, I think we're about to watch the best football game of the season Good. right now. Because yeah. those, those are arguably the two best teams in the league. I mean, either one of these teams can win the Super Bowl. You can make an argument. And they and young DeMar Hamlin goes down and tackling T. Higgins, and he, and he collapses. And um, my heart sank, Doug, because when you look at the reactions of the, of the players, it wasn't like a guy that tore his ACL or, or broke his leg in two places. No, this um, he died on the field. His heart stopped, mm-hmm. and and they were trying to revive him. And these guys were these 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 grown men were crying like babies. And uh, it was a reminder. It's a violent, violent activity. Now it's a kid's game, and we we played it growing up, and we loved it. But at that level, Duck, those kind of things can happen. I've never seen anything like it. We've seen ambulances come out on a high school field and, and get a high school kid, but I've never seen a kid. Um, you know, we saw Matt Nader. We, we we read about Matt Nader, but I've never seen it in an NFL game. And, uh, man, as of this taping, he's uh, rallying. But, man, I just, just prayers up, and you just want the kid to be healthy. It, it just gave all of us pause that it is just the game, you know, and and these players are are human beings, living, breathing human beings. And I wish social media world would remember that. You know, uh, it's so much more about the the scoreboard and fantasy football and all that. And credit to the NFL for realizing the gravity of the situation. And and did they though? Did they the, though? Because well, I'm asking, because at one point they were like, "You got five minutes." To warm up. They dispute that, but ESPN is sticking by that. So, you know, who knows what the truth is. But at least they made the right decision ultimately and basically canceled that game. So that kind of, you know, I applaud the NFL for making the right decision there. And uh, and the players were hurting. They're still hurting. That's our brother. Still, Hamlin's still in critical condition, you know, and we, we offer prayers for him and his family. And then you look at the uh, the toy drive, you know, it's raised over $6 million. So it, it kind of restores your faith in the American people. Good people. Bit. There are good people out there. there we are. come together at the right time for, for causes like this and just – just the strongest prayers that, you know, that Hamlin recovers and uh, and leads a healthy, productive life. 24 years old, his whole life's ahead of him. He can beat this. He can he can rally. Uh, he wouldn't yeah. be the first to come back from something like this. And we know he's a football player. He's in good shape. And um, as of this taping, he was already, um, they cut his ventilator usage in half. He's done. He's just relying on 50% of it. That's encouraging. And shout out to uh, Joe Buck for giving the for delivering the right gravitas to a, a unique situation. Lisa mm-hmm. Salters uh, giving us the blow by blow from from the locker rooms and and um, handling her emotions. She was very emotional, you know, because she's a mother. And and, be, and imagine, yeah. you know, there were there were images of him hugging his mom on the sideline before the game. And so, um, and and it's a football game. But it's played by human beings, and and at that moment, Duck, you you realize that you know there are people behind those uniforms. That's somebody's son. That's somebody's brother, mm-hmm. and so and somebody's cousin. And and uh, I just love how they handled it. Um, I didn't going back to Booger and Susie and 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 Schefter. Those people, they didn't know what to say in the in the studio. But I love what Joe what Joe Buck brought and Lisa Salters. Uh, true professionals and for people like us who do this for a living 
that that shouldn't go unnoticed. I appreciate how they handled it. It puts it all in perspective. Life is important and and it is sacred. And uh, it's just football is just a game. It's just a game. And we had a great time today um, chopping it up with Longhorn legends, Brooks Keishan and Keith Moreland and Greg Swindell all over Texas football, all over Texas hoops. We are so glad to be back um, on your on, on your viewing station, wherever you're getting podcasts, and we're going to hit it hard in 2023. That will do it for episode 283 of On Second Thought. For the Doug Kirk Bowls, I'm Seth Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.